home fix my antenna, do whatever. See it right. Hey! You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. Hi, and happy Easter. Hey, everybody. In the past, yep. to those of you who celebrate, and to those of you who don't, hi. Um, we have a guest host, um, your favorite guest host, and the only guest host we've yep. ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, old Price Manford is back Yep. for a very special episode of How Have You Not Seen This? called Quentin Quarantino. There it is. Quarantino! Next on a very special How Have You Not Seen This? Next. That was amazing. Next we... on a very special How Have You Not Seen This? That was great. Next on a very special clone high. <laughs> Quarantino. Yes, we are doing Quentin Quarantino today on How Have You Not Seen This, which is a podcast where a husband and wife, which is me, Daniel, and me, Tracy, I really hate you that you make me introduce myself. I don't, well, just, well, how are they going to know who's who? Why don't I say with, uh, that's Daniel, and you say, and that's Tracy. And that's Tracy. Or okay. something like that. I don't know. I okay. always say that I'm like, and I'm Tracy, because <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Well, then, uh. <laughs> make Price say, and I'm Price. Okay. And I'm the slack-jawed yokel. There he is. <laughs> Uh, oh, Cletus. Oh, Cletus. Mom, yeah. get off the roof. Mom, get off the dying roof. <laughs> uh, so usually we take turns showing each other movies the other one hasn't seen yet, but we are doing a special episode today of a movie that neither one of us had seen before, but Price had, and it is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we're watching it as a special Quentin Quarantino edition because Price is currently in quarantine for another couple of days. Yes. He's been there for about 12 days now. He is, uh, and this is true, no longer married. That did not, um, that was just yeah. a rough. Didn't yeah, take. She didn't, finally, she find the drugs wore off. It's a bad idea. 14 days in one room. With she got this, sober and realized not, what she had done. It's not great. Yeah. So, okay. so send him your best, send him your thoughts. Um, anyway. We're very happy that Price and Sally are, are in Houston in quarantine not in New York, and hopefully our governor won't kill them before they can get back to New York. That's the um, plan. But who knows? It's Greg Abbott, and he has lard for brains. That's true. So yeah, uh, Price is in quarantine. We thought uh, Quentin Quarantino would be a fun idea. And since he it was had, my idea, it was it was Tracy's idea. And since um, <laughs> he had seen this and we had not, we figured it would be a good run. We actually originally wanted to try doing Inglorious Bastards, but yeah did wasn't quite oh, sorry. didn't quite fit the mood in the house yeah it's price's favorite movie ever and we started watching it yesterday and like 10 minutes in i was like nah no mm -mm, no which is not to say that i don't want to see it it's that i can't do that movie right now i i'm not in a headspace where i can be like yeah maybe maybe if i like watched it later and the, and you're gonna laugh the funny thing about it is like the violence in that movie is why i couldn't watch it but the violence in this movie is my favorite part so yeah it was, it was a good it was a good pivot i'd say we're we, we've got nothing but time we can always revisit bastards at a uh at a later date yeah true yeah it was my it was definitely i told daniel that i would just watch the like major fight scene in once upon a time in hollywood i would just watch that over and over if i could because yeah. it made me so happy 
Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. That's a good point. It's yeah. also just that one scene of, of the fighting and the violence, whereas Inglorious Bastards is is much more violent throughout because of the nature of the story. So it was yeah, different different approach. But so anyway, we watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which like I said, neither one of us had seen. I didn't get a chance to see it toward the end of last year when it was out running for all those awards and Brad Pitt won Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars for it. So yeah, they got ten nominations. So Price, wow. you're you're the one that gets to ask the question. Yeah. Oh, this is exciting. Okay. Uh, how have you not seen this? That's right. He got it. He nailed it. Crushed it in one. Oh, it. one take Manford. Oh, one take Manford, uh, they call him. <laughs> crushed it. Uh, I will go first. Yes. Uh, I had not seen this just because I knew that I would eventually just want to rent it. I am real bad about getting out to the movies, even if it looks like a thing I want to see. Like, I'll rarely go. I mean, it's got to be like a special occasion, like a rare movie or director, really. Otherwise, I'm just I'll just check it out in in a couple of months. I'd heard good things about this. And I, I like a lot of Tarantino movies and I like who's in this. And so I I definitely was was intrigued by the idea of a Tarantino movie with these two guys, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, set in the late 60s and involving to some degree the Manson murders. I didn't know to what degree. And there was just so much buzz and hype around it that I knew it was going to be easy to see. I just didn't really have a burning desire last fall. so. That was me too. I just don't, I don't like going to the movies. I don't like movie theaters. They skeeve me out unless they're really posh, which is never, I, I just don't care. Like it's gotta be a fucking star Wars movie to get me out to see. Uh, it's gotta be, uh, it's gotta be a star Wars movie. I yeah. really can't think of anything that's going to get me out to see a movie. Yeah. I don't know. Before all this happened, I was looking forward to seeing the, the new Wes Anderson movie this summer. The well, French dispatch. Wes Anderson. So stuff like that. But I mean, I didn't see Wes Anderson's, uh, Isle of dogs. No, I love dogs. Isle of dogs. Yeah. This is a movie podcast, isn't it? And we've got two people that are just like, I hate going to the movies. Yeah, the irony is is, is baked right in. Uh, it's definitely there. This is a dinosaur tour. There will be dinosaurs. <laughs> there will be uh, dinosaurs. Well, <sighs> yeah. Um, no. <laughs> I hate that man. I hate him so much. Uh, no, I'll, I'll, I listen, I'm going to say this. Before being able to rent movies online, like so easily and before daniel quit reviewing we went to a lot more movies we went to a lot of movies when daniel was having to review movies he didn't have a choice so you know we went but like when that stopped he was like oh i can just wait a little bit or i can get a screener or whatever and we can see it there wasn't this like burning like oh my god i've got to run out and see once upon a time in Hollywood, it's, you know, I'm going to see it eventually. We're kind of at that point. And also, I don't know. I mean, for, I, I, for me, it was the same thing. Like, I knew that I wanted to see it. I, of course, being a true crime fanatic, know all about, you know, like the Manson murders and all that stuff. And so I was like, what, you know, is how is this going to work? And are people going to want to see this? And I didn't know where it was going to go. But I love Leo and uh, I love Brad Pitt because I'm a woman and alive. And I wanted to see Margot Robbie. I also love Sharon Tate. Um, and I wanted to see how Margot Robbie, I wanted to see how she did it. And I think she did a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. Yeah. So who wants to do the uh, I can plot? Dan Dan's the best I'll, at the I'll plot recap. I'd say let's let Dan tackle this one. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Quentin Tarantino's latest movie, his ninth movie. Came out last fall. 
and it's he's only made nine movies yeah jesus christ he's left a big footprint yeah mm -hmm. we got a lot to talk about on that front for sure jesus christ so it's it's his ninth movie uh it's about a sort of washed up beginning to be washed up hollywood actor named rick dalton played by leonardo dicaprio who was a TV Western star in the 50s, and it is now 1969, and he is relegated to just kind of one-off guest stars on a lot of uh, episodic TV shows, usually plays the bad guy, doesn't do a lot of you know dynamic work or interesting stuff, and is starting to see his star fall a little bit and realize that that's, that's happening to him, his life and career. He uh, spends most of his time with his friend, and best, uh, friend. best friend and uh stuntman cliff booth played by brad pitt uh they've been working together for years and years since since the days of that tv show bounty law that rick was a star of so they hang out together all the time and by the time the story starts rick has actually lost his driver's license because of a dui so cliff is his driver so they spend a lot of time together in the car and going around la together that's the core of the movie is those two characters in their story and what happens to rick in his life and and just over the course of a couple of days we spend a couple of days in february of 1969 following uh rick and cliff as they deal with uh, some some personal and professional issues in hollywood and throughout that there's also interwoven you see the story of sharon tate who lives next door to Rick Dalton. Sharon Tate, of course, would be killed in the fall of 69 in the, the Manson murders. And uh, so the first half of the movie, first big chunk of it actually takes place over the course of just a couple of days in that spring. Then we shift the action to the fall of 1969 for the, the last section of the movie. And it's kind of a, a last night together for, for Rick and Cliff, who are about to go their separate ways because uh, Rick is shifting career directions and he and Cliff have to part. And they wind up getting involved in the the manson murders it becomes one of those historical fiction historical revisionist things that quentin tarantino has sometimes done like in inglorious bastards yeah so that's once upon a time in hollywood uh ish so yeah let's get the uh, first let's get the first reactions i mean you, you guys have both obviously seen i'm sure the most of if not the entire catalog uh what was your what was your initial impression uh i loved i loved it uh after my after letting it gel like i really i really really liked it a lot a lot a lot i thought it was so beautiful it just it made my heart ache how gorgeous it was the um the way that he shot la and hollywood was like a way that would make you daniel swears that in a past life i was i was like a hippie a california hippie dippy girl who would like I probably I wouldn't have been a Manson girl. God, I hope not. But um, <laughs> no. but I would have been one of those like, you know, fuck you, pigs kind of uh, yeah. <laughs> girls with the, you know, pink sunglasses, round sunglasses and daisies. And so I felt very at home uh, watching this, especially the party scene with like Mama Cass and uh, everybody. It was I was like, well, that's just I feel completely right. It was beautiful. The music, nobody. I mean, Tarantino, it the music is just I think if you were like, you can have music or you can have picture, he'd be like, I don't know which one to pick because he loves the music in his films so much. And so it was fantastic. The casting was epic. I even like down to like the little people that you wouldn't necessarily think of like uh, Damian Lewis as yeah. uh, Steve McQueen mm -hmm. was fucking fantastic. I just loved watching 
a real, like I felt like Leo gave this performance that was epic, like this real man having a fucking breakdown and drinking too much, smoking too much, you know, the breakdown in front of that little girl who should have gotten an award just Mm -hmm. for her five minutes or whatever. She was so amazing. And then going through the whole spaghetti Western thing, coming back just like, and then getting his dream. Like when he talked to Cliff and he's like, wouldn't it be amazing if like I happened to like run into Sharon Tate or, or Roman Polanski and like, we just happened to get talking. And then all of a sudden like their friend and Roman Polanski might have a part and da da da. And then at the very end, that's what he gets. And you're like, Oh, But my favorite part was Cliff and his dog. I I just love Brandy. It's a good dog. <laughs> I just I just loved Brandy so much. Yeah. Uh very much like Halle Berry's dogs in um uh, John Wick 3. John yeah. John Wick 3. Mm-hmm. I just love the in the point. I and I thought that the final scene well not the final scene, the fight scene was so Tarantino. It just made like I was laughing during it. I was laughing and clapping and Daniel's Daniel's like hiding his face and I'm like, "Yay, yay." Yeah. <laughs> and that was the reaction and and I know we'll get into this when we when we talk about kind of the full the full picture, but that was also the reaction in the theater. Like I, I don't know if there was as much tension build up. I think maybe there was and people just didn't realize it that they were kind of tense and kind of gripping the seats. But when that happened, there was such this like people were laughing and clapping and it was like it was a very strange experience but it was and we'll talk some about this i'm sure later but like i found it the funniest of any of his movies now i know he's always done a great job with humor especially in something like pulp fiction but like i was like laughing out loud at some of this stuff and he, and and cliff is so good in that scene where he's like no i met you uh it's a short name and he says like no it's something stupid yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yes. he definitely plays it for laughs, uh, for sure, for yeah. sure. And I, th- I think you're right. Like it is tense the whole time because as you as you see Rick and Cliff doing stuff throughout the first two thirds of the movie, we every now and get these brief scenes of Sharon Tate going about her life, you know, partying, going to a movie. She, we, we see some uh, really sweet sequence of her going to a movie theater oh, to watch that. a movie that she's in and like enjoying the crowd reaction to it. So, but of course, we as real people know that she's about to be murdered in a few months, and so you get this sense of like tension and dread yes. over the whole film, not just because of, I mean, it's a parallel to, you know, Rick realizing that things are changing. He's losing things. Things are, are evolving a certain way that mm-hmm. he, he can't control. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of get that too with, with seeing Sharon throughout all these things. And we just feel worried and we know what's going to happen. And then, you know, they start to deviate of course from it toward the end. And Tarantino knows what he's doing too, because when that final sequence starts, it starts with us, there's a there's a shot of a TV show and a, a guy on a TV show saying, and now the moment you've all been waiting for, because, you know, Tarantino saying, I know why you're here. We're going to now we're going to get to the thing and I'm going to let you all have a moment of release and I'm going to kill the people because, of course, the end of the movie, which we have to talk about is instead of killing Sharon Tate and all those other people, these people from Manson's family go in to uh, attack uh, Cliff. And Rick's house, actually Rick's house where Cliff is staying for the night. They want to uh, kill Rick. They want to kill Rick because they realize he's a TV star and they get that this dumb hippie idea that if they kill the person who modeled what killing looked like on TV, they'll be making a big statement. So goddamn fucking hippie. So yeah, Manson people. So they go in to attack the people there. Cliff meets them at the door. And then basically Cliff and Rick and Cliff's dog kill the three Manson family members who, yes. who had come there like in a vicious 
vicious Amazing way. way. Like just a just a way that escalates, and we're we're really we're really jumping on the lead right away because this is kind of the, the pinnacle of the movie, but like. It's it's just an amazing scene with Cliff. You know, I'm I'm, I'm over. I always get overwhelmed at the beginning of our pods because I want to talk about everything at the same time. But like, Leo hasn't done I feel like much in the comedy world, and he absolutely crushes this movie. Yes. Like, I, ever ever when it's, ever since he comes back from Italy and he's like overweight with his like Fu Manchu and he's walking around with his uh, robe on. His his like dressing down of the hippies in his driveway. I'm dying. He's holding the blender. He's like, you goddamn fucking hippies. Fucking hippies came up here to smoke dope on a dark road, huh? Next time you want to try that, fix your fucking muffler. Look, we're really sorry we disturbed you. Look, Chief, you don't belong here. Now take this mechanical asshole and get it off my fucking street! Hey! Dennis Hopper, move this fucking piece of shit! All right, well, just give me a moment to turn it around. Well, drive it backwards, dumb nuts, but fucking drive it and drive it now! Okay, okay, stop yelling. Hold your horses, we're leaving. hell are you looking at, you little ginger-haired fucker? Hey, come around here again, I'm gonna call the fucking cops! Dirty fucking hippies. It reminded me of, like, our dad going out and, like, yelling at someone, being like, your engine's too loud, like, turn that down! And they go in there, and then he goes, He's out there sitting in his pool. He has no idea what's going on inside. And that woman comes out screaming. He goes and gets the flamethrower. I mean, people were just dying. Yeah, yeah. I could priceless. not believe it. Yeah. I love that he made he made Tex cry when he was yelling at him so loud. Like, he was like, that's what I was like. <laughs> Tex is crying. I, yeah. feel like you've, I feel like you've made your point. I thought that was hysterical. I was waiting for him to throw the margaritas, like, on the, on the car. car. Me too. Me too. Um, But that was... They were so not expecting that, that it was, it was goddamn brilliant. And just the, the fucking hippies thing is a thing for him throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which of course, I mean, hippies. yeah, because he, he was a TV star in the 50s. So by the late 60s, he has this huge generational and philosophical divide with like the hippies crawling all over LA. He's like, oh, fucking hippies. Like when he's shooting a pilot the director of the pilot wants him made up to look kind of like a hippie. And he's like, yeah. oh, you want to look like a fucking hippie? Like he's yeah. not, not happy with it at all. Again, much like our dad would have been. <laughs> totally. Totally. That's right. That's um, right. <laughs> and, you know, I think you make a good point, Price. Like Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't usually do comedy stuff, but he does a really good job here. I think that there's a lot of comedy in Wolf of Wall Street um, that he handles pretty well. That's I think fair. he plays right. it that well. But I was just looking over his movies and that, of course, is also like a very dark dark movie he's he never really does lighter stuff just never has there's like no. moments of levity in his movies maybe but like i mean yeah there's moments of levity i was thinking of catch me if you can yeah like i thought of catch me if you can but i mean i'm just going back yep. to the beginning i mean you're looking at like geez what's eating gilbert grape the basketball diaries romeo and juliet titanic the man in the iron mask celebrity the beach gangs in new york catch me if you can the aviator the departed blood diamond Body of Lies, Revolutionary Road, Shutter Island, Inception, J. Edgar, Django Unchained, Great Gatsby, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, comedy is not the Revenant. Yeah, so like he's he can handle some of that stuff well, and um, but he's yeah he's very much a dramatic actor. Like this is the kind of stuff I do, which I get. You know, not everybody can do both. Speaking of Shutter Island, Price, uh, Dad, I got the report from Dad. That he didn't he didn't like that Shelter Island movie that Price liked. 
he doesn't like that psycho drama. Yeah, I got the he same speech. He just wants a good Bruce Willis movie. What? And he figured everything out like really early on, and and it just seemed stupid. And I said, no, Dad, you're supposed to figure stuff out as you go along. It's not like that. He's like, well, I just thought it was ridiculous. I mean, you knew something was wrong with this and this. I just don't like these psycho dramas. This Shelter Island. I was like, it's Shutter Island. He's like, whatever. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I, he he just. I think he really just wanted to watch Die Hard 4. Uh, so yeah, I but I thought it. you'd think that was funny that he was like, I watched Price's Shelter Island and I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not at all what it is. So it really stuck with you. But you really liked it. Adorable. Yep. Yeah, I. you're absolutely right about Leo playing the comedy. I also loved, I mean, I laughed. I felt sad, but I also kind of laughed when he would just break down in tears because mm-hmm. you're just like, bless your heart, you're you're just on the edge. Like you're crying in front of a little girl who's coming over like, it's okay. And then he's like, what does he call her? Pumpkin puss. Pumpkin puss. Yeah. And she's like, generally I do not like names like pumpkin puss, but given what is going on, I will let it go. We will discuss it later. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> she was fabulous. Mm-hmm. And I also love what he threw on the ground. And she's like, it's okay. I've got pads. Yeah. <laughs> No, she was really, really good. She was a really good child I don't know actor. who she was, but I love her. Me either. But yeah, like, I, I thought it was good, too. Like, Tarantino has a huge fetish for this era of, like, movie making and Hollywood and TV and just, like, pop culture and stuff. He a huge boner for cowboys. He does. Let me see how old Because this is, it was set in 69. He was born in 63. So this is the stuff that was, like, around when he was, like, a kid, a little kid. Like, it was just the stuff he grew up seeing. And he's he's, you know, still into it. And so that passion shows up on screen. And so does a lot of money, like the amount of detail in the props and costumes and set dressing and everything is insane. It is. Like, so have you, did you guys dig into some of that stuff yet? Uh, as far as like some of the more famous, you know, I, I, I'm a, kind of a, a big Tarantino fan. And when this was coming out, I kind of, you know just basically listened to every pod and read every article I could with him on it. Uh, and I think a lot of the stories get repeated. I'm sure you guys heard some of it, but when he basically rebuilt Hollywood drive and to the point to where like, even within the storefronts, like they said, if you would go into the stores and look in like the pamphlets were, were changed. It's like, you're never going to see any of this stuff on camera. And it's like, no, it's all going to be real. It's a little Wes Anderson esque with like the detail, but you're, I think your description is right, Dan. It was, it reminded me a little bit of, like the Spielberg, Tom Hanks, when they did space or when they did World War II, like you can kind of see it when the director is doing his kind of passion interest and how it it was a little bit like that. We're like, Oh, this is like your favorite. Like you, he's a, everyone knows this. I mean, Tarantino is kind of an encyclopedia of movies like and TV to the point that you can't even keep up a conversation with him. Leo did a number of interviews that, that kind of supported that, that he's like, you you just can't, you almost can't talk to him because he's got such a knowledge. Uh, But you could see that this was like, this is his era. And like, it was a little bit like Spielberg and Tom Hanks who have this huge thing of world war two. And then you see saving pirate Ryan and you see band of brothers and you're like, Oh, this is like another level. Like you, this is like a person. Exactly. It's one of those, those are really good examples that remind me of this too. It's one of those movies that is so detail oriented. It really removes any level of artifice or distance or feeling like movie making, like the cars, the, the attitude, the costumes, like it is, so fully realized it really does feel like we're watching this happen to these people yeah like it is 
it's it's crazy the level of detail that, that goes into it uh, even in like there's a there's one scene there's a flashback within a flashback at one point and so like uh cliff booth is uh standing on rick dalton's roof to fix his uh tv antenna and he takes his shirt off Woo! there it is when he jumps up to the top and does like parkour to the roof it was oh, so like, cool was his stunt double because so, i yeah. know he did not do that he starts thinking about uh why he didn't get this recent stuntman job and it flashes back to a long interaction of him on set <laughs> and then within that flashback as leonardo dicaprio is telling a story there's a flashback to an, an earlier memory involving cliff and his wife even in that little flashback within a flashback which only lasts a few seconds we see so many great little bits of costume and character detail and oh, time yeah. and hair and makeup and like little little bits like it is insane like the level of of um they had to go out on a yeah. boat and yeah. all this for like mm-hmm. like a few minutes of yeah, a minute of a film minute yeah of film. the level of recreation that they've done here is is crazy and you can clearly tell that tarantino was steeped in this era of stuff growing up because TV of the late 60s was this episodic stuff. It was, you know, FBI. It was not high art, but since it was his childhood and he grew up on it, he has such a passion and affinity for that era. And so when he brings it up and, and recreates it in this movie, it feels really sweet, you know? Yes. Um, and uh, I thought also too, gorgeously shot, like it looked amazing. Well, that's your that's your that's your boy Bob Richardson. It was so, so warm. Good. Yeah. It was very warm and mm-hmm. and sunny. I mean, I felt it was very LA, what I imagine. I yep. haven't been and Daniel of course has lived there and and I was like, "Oh, have you ever been here?" and he's like, "No." And I was like, "Did you live in LA? Like Look, what I, the hell?" I was not I was not going to roll to Musso and Frank at 23. What was I going to do? What was I going to yeah. do? I didn't yeah. know anybody but there. But you did go to yeah. the Mexican restaurant. A lot of the places they shot are still there. Like uh, they shot the exteriors of, of a lot of places like El Coyote, the, the Cinerama Dome, the theaters in Westwood that you see uh, Margot Robbie go to. You know, it's really seeped in a lot of love for a lot of these places in and around L.A. and the Hollywood Hills. And apparently a lot of those places that they shot exteriors on uh, had kind of initially resisted because he wanted to put up all this old signage and, and redo their their major blocking and stuff to be of the era. And apparently a lot of them kept kept it they're like oh you know what this kind of retro sign it kind of kicks ass and so like if you go down there now there's a lot of pieces from the film still there because they're like you know let's just keep the retro sign this is actually cooler i don't know if the uh if the el coyote neon sign we see in the movie was put there for the movie but the the style of it like the 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 font the handwriting that logo is the same like it's so it's looked like that for uh, ever like that's what the el coyote sign looked like when i lived in la you know Mm -hmm. years ago and, and went there so yeah, it was it was a really cool movie. I liked a lot of the the Rick and Cliff stuff, and I liked a lot of those stories. Um, I thought it's it's like a bunch of really interesting um, short novels or short stories or short movies woven together. Like you just kind of get lost in in what's going on. Like there's one very very long sequence where it's just Rick shooting the pilot for the show that he's been cast on as as the bad guy. And you spend a ton of time there on set with him having his breakdowns. You you go through like this whole big shot of him, like going through a scene and like finally breaking, having to redo lines. Like it is a lot of stuff. Like it's, it's just this, this little focused thing. So Tarantino to me definitely feels like that kind of guy. Like he likes to tell stories like that in chapters, which I'm not necessarily knocking. That's just the only movie of his offhand that I can think of that feels very linear narrative is Jackie Brown, which I love. 
Jackie Brown. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. And I know you're a huge Jackie Brown fan, Dan. That's My awesome. number one favorite. We're definitely going to have to rank these things at the end of the pod for sure. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I was I felt like three quarters of the way in, it was almost like I felt like I wasn't watching a Tarantino movie. I think because I'm so used to the exactly what you said. But maybe And maybe he just makes it more obvious for the dummies like me in prior movies where it's like, it's this chunk, it's this chunk, it's this chunk. This one felt like... It did. It, the, the cadence felt different, and maybe it was the dialogue, maybe it was the pacing, maybe it was the way that it was shot. It felt very different than when I, you know, between like Django and Inglorious, I'm like, I can kind of see how these are very similar in the way that they're paced. Until he gets to, really until he gets to the final scene, you're like, oh, this is like, and not just the violence, but like the rap pans, like the the zoom ins, like you're like, oh, right, this is the Tarantino that I know very well in that totally. final scene. Um, but the way that you just described it now, I'm like, it's all these miniature stories of Cliff and Rick together that you kind of, in your head, mesh together to be one, one long no, story. No, I think you're totally right. Aesthetically, it didn't feel like a Tarantino movie. Tracy said this in the last scene. Like, this feels so Tarantino now. No, I was going to say the exact same thing, which is that I did not, it did not feel like a Tarantino movie. Like a, it didn't feel like the kind of jokey I don't know what I'm trying to, I don't know how I'm trying to put it, but like he's got such a style and Jackie Brown doesn't fit it, which is probably why it's, that's my favorite. Um, and this one I feel like doesn't fit it until the end. And then when that girl is like screaming and flailing around, right. it's just like in um, Kill Bill when uh, Daryl Hannah's eye gets plucked out and she's like doing this. It's a very specific flail that he likes yeah. and the screaming that he likes. And I was like, oh, there's Tarantino. OK, yeah. now I know where we are. Mm -hmm. His violence for some reason and maybe Inglorious Bastards is this way and I should just give it a chance. But his violence is not as it's so over the top and almost comical that it doesn't affect me like quote unquote, you know, like real, like if I was watching, like you said, uh, um, saving Papa Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that. It doesn't affect me like that. I think the thing with inglorious bastards was that first scene with Christoph Waltz sitting there. And I'm like, well, I know that all of these people are going to die and I don't want to watch this right now. Like the tension is too much. He is so charming and I know that he's going to slaughter these people and I'm I'm just not I'm not here for that right now. But I was absolutely thrilled to watch Cliff and his dog and and uh, Francesca. I love when she's just like, hey, you <laughs> just belts that girl. That was Tarantino. That was Kill Bill Tarantino, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Right. I, you know, and I remember learning that from you because early on in our relationship, you were like, you know, I don't like certain scary movies or violence or stuff or like I would I noticed that like you had uh, an aversion of certain types of movie violence that I didn't have as much of a problem with but you were like I love the Kill Bill movies I'm like hang on a minute those are bananas like a there's somebody gets the top of their head cut off and yeah but like but, the blood squirts exactly. out like Monty Python I yeah mean, and you were but you made a good point you're like it's so over the top that I can see it as almost like this um this fantasy this cartoon this like the the imagery of it versus just like feeling like oh my god somebody really got like tortured to death so yeah. uh which I thought was a really interesting point and and this has elements of that too because the final scene sequence I should say Tarantino says you know now we, we can get down to business and what does he want to do he wants to imagine a world where not only Sharon Tate lives, but we can also retroactively get revenge on her killers. Yes. And so we're going to watch the totally nice, likable dudes we've spent two two plus hours with 
beat these people to death, not fend off an attack. Like there are three people that attack them. One has her face just mushed to death. It's beaten into a wall and then stepped on. (laughs) Um, One guy gets stabbed several times and then the dog chews him up and bites his dick off and just kills him. And then one lady gets glass shoved all up in her face and then broken all over and then runs out, falls into a pool and then is flamethrower to death. Well, the dog also. Attacks yeah, dog her. attacks her, too. Sorry. Points to Brandy. Dog got her, too. And yeah, then she's flamethrower to death by Rick in the back. Yeah. Uh, so it is Tarantino saying, like, fuck you guys for killing Sharon Tate, you know, and J.C. Bring and mm-hmm. uh, what is it? Barbara Folger. I can't remember her name. I mean, all those people. Yeah, it was. It's one of the most horrific. She was eight and a half months pregnant. Yeah, it's fucking revolting. It's there are no words for what those people did. Four different places. You know, people just know that. But like the Manson family, they did multiple things. I mean, Squeaky Frome tried to assassinate the president, for God's sakes, Mm -hmm. and was paroled. I mean, I can't believe that. But okay. I really love the scene when Cliff took the little hippie girl uh, in the car and and he's like, I'm going to need to see some ID, which you don't have because you're not 18. Just that Brad Pitt drawl is so like every woman is just like, hello, but he takes them out and they're all just, I thought Lena Dunham, who I can't stand was fantastic. I'm not sure if she was playing a specific character that I should know, or if she was just playing kind of like a mother figure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I thought the girl that played squeaky was scary as fuck and really good. I mean, it's like you said, I felt like I was there. I felt like it wasn't like I was watching a movie. It was like you were in the, yeah, mm-hmm. I it's, don't know. It's really, really amazingly brought to life and, and recreated. Like the, the level of detail and commitment and reality they put up there is is really something else. It's insane. Yeah, Tracy, was that scene part of Helter Skelter or part of the story where he where they were basically living on that back lot with like a an old filmmaker that was kind of basically a prisoner without realizing it? Is that true, or is that just that part of, that made up as part of? This? I think that's just made up as part of this. But I'm not sure. I haven't read Helter Skelter because I almost don't want to feed into it. Like, I've never wanted to read it. I've never wanted to give that much of myself to it. But I'm actually curious as well to know if they lived on that back lot. It would make sense. It does. It seemed like it was pulled directly from the story in some form or fashion. And and Cliff is kind of inserted as like a visitor, but like the rest of it is real. Yeah. Am I crazy or... Did the guy who played Manson in this movie also play Manson in? Yep. Boom. In, in what? Uh, in uh, Mindhunter. Mindhunter. That's the same dude. Same dude. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> he was also in Justified. He plays Dewey in Justified. That's crazy. I did um, not know that. I mean, should we talk about the big casting duo and how amazing it is that there was Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt in the same movie? And that they looked <laughs> enough alike. When they first come in and that guy's interviewing them, I was like, wow, they really actually do kind of look alike. And like, it makes sense. And then when Bruce Lee's like, I thought that stuntmen weren't supposed to be good, you know, weren't that good looking. Pretty good looking. Yeah, something like pretty good looking for a stuntman. Pretty good looking. He's like, yeah, "Yeah, well, you know. I mean, we should should talk about that scene as well. Because it was fucking amazing. Because it was amazing. What did you do to my car? Yeah, Zoe Bell showing up. And that was the scene that prevented this from being aired and in, in aired. I mean, I guess from releasing in China. I, I remember serious? when this, yeah, people were like, Bruce Lee would never lose that fight. They were like, he would not have lost. 
And well, you, I mean, I got to agree with that. Yeah, but... they were. Their take was it's a unrealistic, but also to to these people like offensive that you would even suggest that in this random scene on the back lot, Bruce Lee would lose this fight to a stuntman. So, I mean, do I have that right? You have that right. And it's and, and they basically were like, you have to edit this. And of course, what everyone loves about, you know, I think one of the things I, I at least love about Tarantino, he's he's like, go fuck yourself. And they're like, no, no, no. But movies have to be released in China in order to make most of the money back. And he's like, I will not edit my film. And you're like, of course you won't, because that's what you do. And so he's like, yeah, it wasn't released in China because he's like, go fuck yourself. I don't care. Oh, by the way, I'm so sorry, dude. Uh, I'm now looking at a picture of the guy, the actor Damon Harriman, who played Manson in this. Uh, now that I can see him clean, I, I see it. Yeah, it's Dewey Crow from Justified. And oh, and yeah, it is Dewey. And he played, yeah, Manson on, on Mindhunter. And it's amazing. He did a great job in both. They were like, just bring your shirt from the other one, man. Just come do that again for these dudes and it'll be the same thing. He's great. They lived on a deserted ranch in the San Fernando Valley. So it could have been. So it's similar. I think what it is, if I'm going to make a leap and this, and you know, if anyone listening, I mean, nobody ever corrects us. So that's nice. Um, We're always right. Nobody ever corrects us. Cause I don't even know (laughs) if anyone listens. No. um, I will say I do check how many people download it and that's nice. You know, we do have a, a good number of downloads. So I know you're listening and either you don't know or you don't care. And I like both of those. I'm going to assume that they lived on a deserted ranch and Tarantino was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I made it the ranch where they did all the, if I made it the filming studio where film studio and that kind of thing and had Cliff go out there and have a, have an actual personal connection to it. That's my guess. I think your guess is very, very right because you also get that extra level of, you know, the, the decay and the transition in that, TV and film industry that was happening at the time because the late 60s is when things were radically changing in Hollywood in terms of film and TV. The old studio system was collapsing under the weight of A, changing generational tastes and B, huge losses on things like, you know, big roadshow musicals and and movies like Cleopatra. And it's just, it was a huge changing time that was about to be like kicked off because 69, of course, we only really see in this movie the movies that like Rick is involved with. But I mean, this was this was the era of Easy Rider and Bonnie and Clyde. So it was neat to have Spawn's Ranch, where the Manson family lives in this movie, be this kind of like old decaying bit from the past, this like bygone relic of of movie making. I mean, look how much he looks like. Tracy's now showing me a picture of Charles Manson. And yeah, this guy looks. They kind of nailed it. Let's talk about that, too. Like, it's really, really hard. It's a thankless job, really, to try and cast someone, especially a famous someone, to play another famous person in a movie. Yeah. You you always have to go an extra mile with, like, suspending that disbelief when you're watching a movie because there is no Rick Dalton, so I can watch Leo be him just fine. But I know what Steve McQueen looks like, you know, things like that. And I think there's a reason that where the cast is Michelle Phillips, you don't see her face that often, but you just kind of yep. get you get her hair and her body and a little bit of the face. I, I get Mama that. Cass. But yeah, the Mama Castle is really good, especially because you can just you see her only like a little bit like and she's kind of farther away and then like bits of the frame and like she looks enough like Mama Cass to be like good casting. For so, sure, for sure. so they did a really good job with casting people to play and put on real people. And the Manson was good. But of course, I think, you know, Margot Robbie as, as Sharon Tate. You 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 loved it. 
I loved it. I was very concerned because like I said, I love Sharon Tate and I want it. I'm like, listen, don't fuck this up because her voice is so much of a part of who she is. It's this breathy, almost like a little girl, but not in a creepy way, but it's very specific. And and it's not just a high, it's not just a high voice. It's not just a sweet voice. It's this breathy quality. And she didn't, she didn't nail it all the time but when she did nail it it was fucking perfect and she looked enough like her that i don't think he could have found anything anyone better it was really really well done and i like that they didn't have really polanski wasn't really in it in that you looked at him and went is that what he looked like i don't really think so the polanski looked pretty good but the polanski looked really good the jc bring looked really good because nobody really knows what he looked like unless you are into that thing okay i don't know if this is totally off topic but I didn't know this, that Charles Manson is not his name and that he changed his name to Charles Willis Manson because he would say it very slowly. Charles, Charles's will is man's son, implying that his will would be the same as the son of man. That's a pretty hot trivia piece. I may steal that for my next icebreaker. Charles's will is man's son. Uh, cool. Well, I'm not going to sleep tonight, so that's great. That's awesome. Whoa. That's yeah. fucking Aww. creepy. But he's played very well in this by the dude and from Mindhunter. And he's dead. Fuck that guy. Which, again, yeah, that's the thing. Like, this movie reminded me, because, of course, you know, I didn't get too much into it priced, just so you know, because I know that at some point we probably do want to maybe show Tracy and Glorious Bastards in the future. So I didn't get into any plot or spoilers, but this reminded me a lot of Bastards. For sure. Because of its not historical revisionism, but historical wish fulfillment. Because, you know, Bastards was like, what if you could just fucking kill those Nazis, you know? Uh, and this not only yeah. has yep. Rick Dalton playing yep. a character who flamethrowers Nazis to death in a movie clip we see, but this is Tarantino, <laughs> a film lover born in the 60s who grew up knowing and loving all this stuff, saying, what if I made a movie that but not just paid homage to this era of like, you know, schlocky but lovable stuff i grew up on but i could also portray on screen this like fable of just like fucking killing the manson family in front of you people because i just hate them so much and i just wish that not only it hadn't happened but that i could punish them for the punish for them, them yeah. yeah it was very cathartic wasn't it the yes. man it's not like the uh, the manson family members come to the neighborhood and like get a flat tire and like they drive away and sharon tate's fine yeah. like it's it's not like he made a movie where things were different. He made a movie where we get to punish them on screen. Yes. To that degree, it reminded me a lot of Bastards because Bastards was, to that extent, a movie about like, I wish I could just change the past in this very forceful way, you know? Where the hell was Dakota Fanning in this movie? She played Squeaky. Are you serious? Yes. God damn, yeah. she was good. I know. I had no idea. She was awesome. They, they, she, she, her eyes were brown in the movie, so it was context, I'm guessing. That's but what it was. She was a stone cold bitch in this movie and really fucking it scary. Was the red hair and the brown eyes. I had no uh -huh. fucking clue. And she was amazing. Yeah. Cause they changed her hair and eyes and they made her look all greasy and they put her in like dirtier clothes. And she's just fucking God mean as all get damn, out. Damn, That yeah. is some good casting. Cause I was like, huh? Yeah. It's great. Can we talk about that scene for a second? Cause that entire scene was fucking awesome. Again, I didn't know the story as well. Maybe track as you did as far as what the days or the kind of the big milestone of the Manson murders were. And so I kind of was like, oh, this might be really bad for Cliff here. Like, I have no idea where Cliff's character is going. Like, so I don't know if this is kind of the end, but like, 
you kind of follow Cliff's understanding of what's happening as you go along and you show up and you're like, oh, he's got this great, good looking hippie girl going to meet her friends. And then it's like, uh, you kind of go down being like, oh, yeah. no, no, he's a smart guy. He figured it out very quickly. Yeah, he he did. And I but I was with you, Price. I was like, this is not going to go well because and he, he goes to the door and it's like you're like, look behind you, keep checking behind you, like just in case. And everyone's like staring at him. And it's just like, oh, he's, he's a fictional character. I don't know if he's going to make it out of this, you know, but he, I know he's super strong and self-reliant and he just beats the shit out of that hippie. And it's like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> when like when he said to text, he's like, you ever been to Houston? He's like, of course I've been to Houston. He's like, I did a chain gang for two weeks or whatever yeah. out there. I'm last last uh, cop's jaw I ever break last yeah. cop's jaw yeah and i thought this is a guy actually i think this is also very this is very tarantino where you have someone that you're like i'm totally relaxed around you you just seem like a really cool whoa did you just jesus christ yeah you blew totally. the guy's head off, like that kind totally. of thing and and everything's very relaxed and he goes in and sees bruce dern who you know plays whatever his name is um george or something and he and who has no idea who he is and that whole thing was very disturbing and then walks out and everyone's gone and i never felt i never felt worried for him because well it's at this point it's like what are they going to do shoot him like it's he's the star of the movie well i mean he's one of the stars of the movie but i thought it was written so well that you felt this dread anyway sure you were supposed to with these hippies that are all about love and whatever. And when they get there, when he gets there, they're all like, Hey, and Oh, and I'm moon tower and I'm, you know, water lily and I'm blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, Charlie's going to love you and da da da. Yeah. And then at the end, not so much. And text comes back. I imagine what I think happened is that is that um, Cliff figured out what was going on and he went ahead and changed the tire because I don't think he yeah. wanted text to come back because there's only so much you can do against a gun. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think you're right. Like we're with him on like that growing sense of dread because he goes out there and the ranch and we see like these people, you know, all like dirty in this infested household watching TV and it's just creepy right away. And yeah, and they all have this dead look in their yeah, eyes. Yeah, it's just eerie and upsetting. And, you know, we also get a little bit of, of some of his backstory, you know, when he's riding out to the ranch giving the girl a ride you know she offers to give him a blowjob while they're driving and he's like you know jail's been trying to get me my whole life it hadn't gotten me yet and i'm like you've had an adventure then man what's what kind of things have you seen you know well did he, well, did he kill his wife? wife i was gonna ask about that like do you think cliff killed his <laughs> wife because the flashback that we see cliff doesn't get a stuntman job because it is rumored that he killed his wife and got away with it while they were out on a fishing boat one day. Well, he had the and, harpoon pointed yeah. at her. And that's why this other stunt coordinator guy doesn't want to work with him. And so he doesn't get the gig. And we only see the brief flashback of him and his wife on the boat while she's berating him. And he's looking super tired and kind of drunk. And the harpoon is pointed totally at her. But then we cut away and Leonardo DiCaprio says, ah, it's just rumors. Don't believe it. No, so, I think he killed his wife. You think he killed his wife? Yeah. I think he did too. He probably killed his wife. I think he yeah. killed his wife. It would be in line with his character. And everything else we've seen him do, he is so comfortable with murdering these people. Because, again, as viewers, we're like, yeah, fuck the Manson family. But Cliff doesn't know who these people are. They're just random hippies that showed up. And he's yeah, like, that's a good he's point. like, oh, hippies that's are here. Um, I'll just murder them. No, you know? they came for him first with knives and a gun. They did. The guy pulled the gun out, but he was like, I could disarm him or I could just beat them to jelly in front of 
this Italian lady right now and, and murder them. Man, I love when she was just yelling at the cop. That was great. Yeah. Um, but no, so he's he's definitely a rough, rough around the edges guy, even though he's a very sweet and loyal guy to Rick. So yeah, I think Cliff definitely probably killed his wife too. No, I think well, and I don't think yeah. it was uh I don't think that that he killed his wife in a I am going to go. I think it was like you said, he was drunk and she was talking. I think and he, maybe just, he could, just I think he just had enough. Maybe he just pulled the trigger and mm-hmm. then was like it was kind of what it was as he was saying manslaughter which is yeah. as opposed to murder which is like premeditated right premeditated exactly yeah. um yeah. did y'all enjoy zoe bell as um or just yeah as so, as, as zoe uh, bell as uh, kurt russell's, as kurt russell's wife, wife and one of the one of the people who worked on the back lot that Brad Pitt was fired from and when he was fighting uh, Bruce Lee in that scene. Yeah, because she's the reason that he didn't get the job or that he wasn't going to get the job was because uh, she hates him because he killed his wife. Because he killed his wife, yeah. But do you know you know who she is? Uh, I do not know her well. Well, she is uh, a stunt woman, which I think is kind of cool that she's a stunt woman and that she plays a stunt woman. Um, but she's uh, she was Uma Thurman's stunt woman. Well, she was Lucy Lawless's stunt woman in Xena. Then Uma Thurman's in Kill Bill. She was herself in Death Proof. Yeah, Grindhouse. Mm-hmm. She was in. She was herself in The Hateful Eight. And she was herself in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but she was also Kate Blanchett's stunt double in The Ragnarok. Huh. Nice. Oh, cool. The Ragnarok. Yeah. Death Proof is intense. It is intense, but I like that in that one, uh, it's her versus Kurt Russell, and in this one, they're married. I know. Um, well, so the the Bruce Lee scene, which I love, is a fictitious dream of Cliff's. It's not. It didn't happen. Really? Yeah. No. That's that's him. That's him. Like. He he has his own. That's why that's why the 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 wife, like the the wife flashback is so important because you're trying to figure out if that Rick remembering that story or is that Cliff telling that story. The the Bruce Lee thing is Cliff's own imagination of like how great and good looking. That's why when that's why the dialogue is like I thought I didn't know they made stuntmen so good looking. Like this is Cliff thinking about himself. It's not real. Because exactly your point, the Bruce Lee would have beat the shit out of well, him. Well, then how did he get fired from the? Why did the car the car got dented and he still killed his he no, still killed his wife him. and so that's still why they didn't want to work with him because she comes out and she's like what the fuck is going on huh I did not I'm so confused read that now. that way interesting I'll see if I can do a quick look up uh, I, I'm not saying I don't I believe you I'm just like now now I'm no, like no, no, no. warped it makes total sense that that he would not be able to beat Bruce Lee. Cause I actually thought I like that. They had Bruce Lee in a couple different, like three different scenes. They had him there. Then they had him training Sharon. That's right. Then they had him training Jay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was, was cool. cool. That was weird. <laughs> I thought by the way that Emil Hirsch did a really good job as Jay. He did. I like Emil um, Hirsch. I didn't recognize him. He's like, great. I, he did I think he's made job. some good stuff and he's a good performer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it okay. What? No, I was gonna say casting of of Leo and and Brad. We should also probably touch on the fact that they got those two guys. They took half half their normal salaries. Uh, and apparently, and again, you guys can can dig back through now that you've seen it and all the all the Tarantino interviews because he does a, a shitload of uh, promotion. It, obviously, everyone's question was how did you how did you do this? How did you get both of them? And it sounds like he basically had pairs in mind. And so this was his lead ah. pair. 
And then if you had to go to the backup pair, because his, 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 of course, now maybe this is true, maybe this is not, it makes for a better story, uh, that he needed them to obviously look alike, same height, that type of thing. So he's like, if I lost one, I maybe had a backup, but really I had pairs that, that I would work together to go. If I'm not going to get Leo and Brad, I've got my next pair that I would go for. And obviously he said the timing is just the hardest thing between two people like that. But it sounds like they both were on board and took, I, you know, God knows, they, they had $20 million salaries each that they took half of. That each sucks. They, they could oh, together. Two, two um, I know, those poor guys. But you guys are both, you guys are both uh, Mark Marin. Yes. Yes. So they, so Brad and Leo, Leo famously obviously does zero promotion. Uh, they both do a uh, W2F with Mark Marin, and it is fantastic. I like, didn't listen to it yet because um, I didn't. This is just me. Like if I haven't seen a movie, but I know I'm very likely going totally. to, I don't want to listen to yeah, podcasts or interviews like kind of just because I don't want to like wind up accidentally being like spoiled or or just I'd rather just kind of like go back. So now is the time for me to go back and like check stuff like that out because I've heard that's a really good episode of, of Marin with those two guys. Yeah, exactly. And so they seem like genuinely good friends. Uh, there's a scene uh, in, in the movie where they're coming home at the end of one of the days. And it's about to be airtime for an episode of FBI, the TV show that uh, Rick is guest starring on that week. Yes. And Cliff comes in to watch it with him and they have a couple of beers and some pizza and watch the show. And we see like the first few minutes of the show while them, they just make a commentary and like joke about like what they're seeing on screen. And I was like, I could watch hours of Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio just doing commentary. Uh, Take it as fast as you can. Yes, sir. TCH, yeah, yeah, Malibu, Puerto Canada, some shit. On uh oh, here comes trouble. Boom! <laughs> oh man, right in the face. It's so fun. They're clearly having fun together, and Tarantino clearly loves capturing this stuff because he didn't just have them come in and watch the show together like we spend several minutes on this yes. because we just get to be around these guys in their relationship and you get to see the fact that yeah they've been, this is 69 they've been working together for 15 years or something by now so yeah uh you really get to see their relationship and uh i actually just looked it up their age difference is about 10 years um but i think they still they, they look you and move see it. You, you can see it but in not Brad in a Pitt. bad way yeah they look and move really similarly though and i think that that uh, it's a really good pair casting i would be really interested to know what some of those other pairs were that he might have been thinking oh, of oh me too i also really liked when uh, uh oliphant i think it was oliphant asked oh by the way we have to give an rip to luke perry i yeah. I love oh, that this was his last movie because it's a cool last movie. That's a fucking rad ass legacy to leave. Like, oh, his last movie was this award winning, spectacular film. Like, and he was great in it in this little brief moment because he's fucking Luke Perry. Yeah. And why he wasn't in the Oscar tribute is really shitty. And I don't know why. Because, hello. I know. Dylan McKay. But. I loved when uh, Timothy Oliphant was like, hey, weren't you up for um, the uh, Great Escape? Wasn't it Timothy? Great Timothy? Escape, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. And he's and he's like, I hear I heard that, you know, you read for that or whatever. And then you see the whole thing happening in Rick's head. I thought that was so well done. And I mean, the fact that they put him in that movie because it's a great it's a 
great fucking movie anyway, but they put him in that movie and you see him. I mean, he's thinking about it and he's just like, nope, nope, never met anybody, never talked to anybody, whatever. You know, there was a list, I guess. I don't know. I was on it, maybe whatever, da da da, trying to, because he doesn't want to say, I screen test for what? it and I didn't screen test it for it and I didn't get well, it. I read that moment as him actually saying, like, oh yeah, you know, for a moment, for a hot minute. I had a shot at it when McQueen was maybe going to pass. And so in his head, though, he's imagining how the movie would have looked with him playing the role. Oh, that's even cooler. That's how I read that moment, which makes me really see more of what Price was saying about how that earlier flashback to the Bruce Lee fight was uh, Cliff's version or projection of things. I yeah. definitely want to now want to like rewatch it and see see more of those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, and I'm I was doing some quick googling, and I'm a fucking moron as usual. I think it, it's I must have gone down a Reddit rabbit hole on theories because I think the general consensus is the final scene is the one that might be in Cliff's head because he smokes the 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 laced cigarette. Um, but I think then it opened up other theories, going, well, wait a second, if he's not a reliable, uh, if he's not a reliable kind of narrator himself maybe we should relook at the time when he beats up Bruce Lee and be like, well, wait a second. He's beating up Bruce Lee and he's being complimented with how good he looks. Are we sure that's real? Got it, real? got it, got it. No, well, so, I, okay. I think the last thing was definitely real because it wasn't just him. It was Francesca. It was Rick. And Rick, too. And, yeah. Uh, I, so, yeah, I, yeah. Then I, then I, buy, I think that was all real, too. That's I how buy, I read it. The LSD came out in the way that he was reacting to them. Like, yeah. The way that he was laughing and just being like, Ugh. yeah, um, and then realized, you know, but he he had enough uh, awareness to, you know, like Daniel and I both loved the moment when he just holds his hand down to get uh, Brandy to stay and not move yet. And then just that one hand and she's totally still. Yeah, it's very cool. And then he makes the clicking sound and she's like, great, I get guy for dinner and yeah. just eats the shit out of that guy god damn i love that so that much. was awesome i daniel is i mean covering his eyes and i am just no i'm, just, I'm covering my mouth and like yelling like oh no bouncing and laughing and clapping i'm like yeah. yay yeah i thought that was an awesome sequence too and definitely played just the right way so yeah i did not i and i guess i should now i mean price seems much more uh um educated on this film because of the reddit and the the articles and i didn't read anything because i didn't know we were going right. to watch it yesterday and, no me either i mean i also had months months ahead of uh, uh advantage on you guys and also having seen it multiple times at this point um now of course of course but even my uh, my theory after doing all that was just proven wrong by myself so clearly i'm uh, clearly i'm the uh i'm the podcaster of note open people come to, to listen learning. to there you go mm -hmm. open to open to debunking my own stupid theories yep. within the same podcast Boom. we won't even have to get mail about this It'll, we fixed it just wait 20 minutes and we'll fix this you guys it's in the same episode it's fine uh, it's yeah fine. so uh yeah, that's 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 cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was a that was a fun movie. I'm really glad I, I finally checked it out. I didn't know what to expect, but I'm glad I watched it. I thought it was really really captivating and um, just rock solid from the two leads. I get Pitt getting the Oscar. I think it was one of those you're so awesome kind of Oscars, you know, in general, because uh -huh. I think he's given lots of good performances over the years, some better than than this. Yes. But this was just one of those years where the marketing campaign really worked. Look, look, look it's Brad Pitt. Just give him the man an oscar he was perfect for the role 
Is it his best role he's ever done? I don't know. Maybe it could be. It did feel and look good timing to do like a lifetime achievement Oscar, which I think they also kind of gave Leo yes, with the revenue. That was such horseshit. He deserved it for so many other. Completely awards. agree, Price. Look, Tracy, I think he deserved it for this because it's like the Rick Dalton thing was really amazing. This was much better, I think, a performance than than the Revenant. But the Revenant, they were like, he lost all this weight and. It was really chilly and like we should give him an award. Wait, so did you say that he never does prom- promotion for his movies? He doesn't do the like uh, late night tours. He does like if you can go look it up, he really only does the kind of like uh, the press junket and Daniel will, will know better than me. But basically where they go to him and he sits there in the stupid director chair for, you know, a few hours. But like he doesn't do like Fallon. He doesn't go That's on. That's why he's not winning. He's not playing the game. If you're not willing to play the game, you're not going to win the awards. Well, he won it for the Revenant. Finally. But, yeah. I think that was, I think it was, I think it got yeah. to the point where it was like, we look really stupid. Like yeah. we really have to give him an award at this point. Cause now yeah. it just looks like we're being petty. Now, yeah. Now it looks like we're clearly blackballing him. We're yeah. clearly blackballing one of the best actors around and we can't, we can't keep doing this. It looks stupid. Yeah. Cause there, he could have, he there are many awards that he could have won totally and that's embarrassing i think i think uh, and i feel the same for brad pitt it's like come on well it's just like how they gave russell crowe the award for fucking gladiator when he clearly deserved it for um you know the insider the insider the year before and um la confidential he should have gotten one i mean it's just like what are you doing well gladiator was amazing i think it was more when he got it for fucking master of the far side of the world or whatever Mastering the fuck that commander. other commander he got it for did he win for that probably not but he won for cinderella man he won something else in that string when you were like all right i think we're we're kind of exhausted gladiator, gladiator it for sure also left more of a pop cultural impact than like cinderella man jeez and we all know that it's Elizabeth <laughs> Taylor's favorite. Gladiator! 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 Yeah. Oh, wait, so hold up. On the, on the Leo thing. So, and again, this is uh, harebrained internet research. Tarantino famously never has improv because it's like, it, to him, obviously, it's like fucking with what's perfect as far as the dialogue. So I guess famously, now again, this could be debunked, but this is all the various Googling I've done kind of became a famous story for the the award run. Leo's breakdown in the trailer was entirely improv by Leo. And apparently he was having a really hard time doing the scenes where he's like fucking up. And he's like, just let me have like a big pinnacle breakdown moment. And he just did the entire thing in the trailer by himself. That was just him. I could see that. I could see that for sure. I could see that. And that was a, that was incredible. I mean, when he was staring into the mirror, but looking yeah, at us, into the camera, and he's yeah, like I will blow your fucking and brains I, out. I think there's, I think there's definitely some grounds there because that was the only scene in the movie, if I'm right, that used the word motherfucker, and it was such a like. It just seemed like such a modern, non-1969 way to, like, fucking chew yourself out in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And something about it felt so much like Leonardo DiCaprio being like, I'm going to fucking blow your brains out, motherfucker. And I was like, that is, like, Pulp Fiction or something. That that doesn't feel like anything (laughs) else that's happening in the rest of this world. So I could totally see, Bryce, Leonardo DiCaprio getting to be like, I'm just going to fucking – yell at myself cut this together and then that'll be the thing i i think i could see that for sure that's totally valid Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i like that idea yeah totally totally 
because that breakdown scene was, it was intense. Great. Like when he gets the flask out and starts drinking it, and, and it's like, out the door. what the fuck? But he's, <laughs> yeah. He did a great job. And I loved when he finally does a great job finishing the scenes, shooting in the pilot, and the little girl says, That was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. Like you. He just gets this this emotional comeback yeah. moment. It was really good. Also, an improv line from Brad, who said a stuntman said it to him once. You're Brad fucking Pitt, and that was Brad Pitt's improv line. That was like another good shout that y'all just had. That's you're Rick fucking Dalton. You're Brad fucking Pitt, man. You're incredibly talented. You're one of our best looking people. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> one of our. You're gonna be fine. You're Rick fucking Dalton. It's what We're a great line. Make sure you make it into the vault. You're one of our prettiest people. Exactly, man. When the meteor comes or the pandemic comes, we're definitely saving Brad Pitt. Someone save Brad Pitt. Uh, well, all right, that was good. It was a good movie. Price, what? Well, did you want to? We need. I want to hear. I want to hear the rankings. I, and and you guys start. Uh, I've written my, or you, you, up to you guys. Your, your pod. You tell me. I've written mine down. If if you yeah, guys need you a minute, what are your thoughts? Okay, I'm gonna go from bottom up or top bottom. Bottom up. Do the countdown. So like number one is last. Number one's last. Okay. So this is. I'm going Grindhouse at ten or nine. I guess I should say nine. Only because I think I haven't really seen it since it first came out, and for some reason it was felt to me like it was an it was an over rev where I was like, I love Quentin Tarantino. This feels like Tarantino a bit on sure. steroids yeah. sometimes, uh, but I don't know that one as well, so it's probably why it's, I've pinned it down here. It's a bit Dan like you and and gangs mm-hmm. when you're talking about Scorsese. Um, next, I'm going. Dan's not gonna like this. I'm going Jackie Who Brown. Are you? Are we related? Okay, hold on. This is my this is my list, not yours. Uh, so I'm going Jackie Brown there, which I did like. Uh, but it just did it didn't have the to me it didn't have the the same Tarantino magic that I think some of the other ones do. Now I need to see it more times. It's also one I haven't seen as many as some of these others. Uh, I'm gonna count Kill Bill as combined, so one and two together is my next one. Uh, Uma Thurman is a fucking legend, and it's a little bit like when you rank Wes Anderson movies, and you're like, wait a second, why is Life Aquatic so low on this list? It's just because you got a yeah. lot of heat on top of it. Um, I'm going hatefully above that. Uh, that would be at the sixth spot. Yeah, sixth spot. Loved Hateful Eight. Liked that it happened entirely in one spot. And I also liked that since Reservoir Dogs, that one felt like the one where he had his gang together, and like it's Tim Roth. It's like uh, Michael Madsen. It's all the people that are like part of Tarantino's gang mm-hmm. of of actors that were all in one place. Um, Django. After that, I loved Django. Um, Django also being the highest grossing Tarantino film. It was a big hit and also had Jamie Foxx. I think at the right time as well. Um, and it was the first time Leo had done a Tarantino, so I think that gave it a a solid boost as well. Uh, and plus, it was Christoph Waltz off the Oscar, and of course, then he won the Oscar for that too. Um, I'm going Pulp Fiction after that, which is doesn't really need any kind of commentary from a <laughs> moron like me. Uh, Reservoir Dogs after that, and then Bastards is my number one. All right. You want to go? Oh, shitballs. I'm going to go Jackie Brown number one just because I love the movie. I have such an affinity for it and a, a history for it. I've loved it for a long time. He also has an insane boner for Pam Greer. Duh. And it's, it's just a great <laughs> movie. Also, it gets bonus points for having Michael Keaton – 
play Ray Nicolette, um, who you also see in Out of Sight is the same character. And that's like never happened ever. Oh my God. That's a he good plays one. the same character in two different Elmore Leonard movies by different directors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, it's, <laughs> I just, just, that's a little grace note. Um, I just love Jackie Brown so much. I also do, 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 I will say it. I'll just say it up top. I haven't seen Django, so I can't rank that, but I've seen the others. Uh, after that, I'm going to go Pulp Fiction. And then I'm going to go Once Upon a Time and then Kill Bill. Wow. And then I'm going to go Bastards, Hateful Eight, Reservoir Dogs, and Death Proof. Okay. Wow. See, this is what's great about Tarantino. Wildly different list. I think it's just because Death Proof, I agree. Like, it's it was half of Grindhouse, you know, along with Planet Terror. Death Proof is just like, what if I had an idea of a couple of things? And it's like, you do this, and there's like a, the scene at the bar, and then there's like the scene on the road. And you're like... These are fun ideas you had. This is not a movie. What am I? <laughs> this is not a movie. I that kind of I'm proud that you got your friends together in Austin to to shoot this. I hope you had fun. Um, but like, this is not. I'm not watching a movie right now. I'm watching a couple of interesting shorts by a very talented guy. So yeah, uh, that's kind of why I put Death Proof at the bottom. Um, and Reservoir Dogs toward the bottom too, just because I don't have as much affinity for it. It's it's fine. It's you know just not not really my thing. Um, and I think it was very much like still kind of wobblier in some parts than others. But yeah. Um, I was surprised just doing that on the fly, how high I put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I think just because I was really taken by the vibe and the the passion there is and the, the cast. And yeah, just wound up being higher than I thought. So, yeah. I also didn't rank Once Upon a Time. So it shows how much I was prepared. Uh, Tracy, you, once again, Tracy, I've proven that I'm the best guest you had over down. You. I'm, you know what, the, the quarantinos over here are really having a hard time keeping up. Okay, so <laughs> my problem is I have not seen Inglorious Bastards, Django, which I will never see, or The Hateful Eight. But I imagine that I will like Inglorious Bastards. I imagine that I would not like Django. I imagine that I would not like The Hateful Eight, but that's just me. So mine are going to get some woes. Um, Jackie Brown, clearly at the top for me. I also have a huge boner for Pam Greer. I think the story is fucking fantastic. I think it's the casting again. His casting is impeccable always. Yeah. Robert De Niro, just, I love him so much. I love Sam Jackson. It's just, I I love everything about them. I love literally everything about that movie. There's nothing I don't love. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm actually going to put... Once Upon a Time, number two, because it fulfills the true crime, like, girl That's in right. me. I'm like, yes, let us kill all the Manson people. Like, uh, that made me happy. Uh, I'm going to put uh, the Kill Bill franchise, number three. Loved. I've seen them so many times. I'm embarrassed at how many times I've seen them because they're so goofy, but I still love them. I guess... Now I I shouldn't, but I'm going by music. Uh, I'm gonna put re- I'm gonna put Reservoir Dogs next, and then I'm gonna say Pulp Fiction, and then I'm gonna say Grindhouse. Mm. Um, now my problem with I have a problem with Pulp Fiction because I have a problem with rape scenes, a very oh, very big problem okay. with rape scenes. Uh, they I mean even like talk I get like a that tingling in my mouth when I just talk about it, like I'm going to throw up. I threw up when I saw Pulp Fiction. I actually threw up. 
So um, I don't, I, while I love the soundtrack cause it's Quentin Tarantino and the man can make a soundtrack out of anything. I do not like that movie and I will never like that movie. That's fair. Um, yeah. Huh. Yeah. I just, I can't, I, I can't, but yeah, that's my list. I obviously lean more, I guess, I don't know where I lean. I don't really lean anywhere, but yeah, Jackie Brown, number one and Grindhouse, like I said, and Grindhouse, whatever. I think your instincts are the right track. I think about the ones that you haven't seen, like you, you're really going to love bastards uh, for, for a lot of the same reasons. And I can, and I can understand the first scene. You, you don't have anything like that again. Um, I'll give you that spoiler. Uh, you have Christoph Waltz being terrifying, but you don't have anything that's like a visceral, like this is something I don't want to see. Yesterday just wasn't the day for it. You know, yeah. and I, you know, how, like a movie you're like, I'm in the mood for whatever. I was like, I am not in the mood for slaughter. No. And this one, and, and to your point, like, especially during this time when everyone's looking for comfort things, like once upon a time, real like even the first time I saw Leo and Brad on together, I realized my face was like smiling ear to ear. Cause I was just like, this is so fun to have these two guys in this car together. Uh, but Django is awesome, but it's not an easy watch, nor is an easy rewatch. So I think your your instincts are probably right about that. Hateful Eight is is really good, and it doesn't have the same thing that I problem I think you'd have with Django. But if it's not your thing, you're probably not missing anything either. I confuse Daniel with a lot of my, um, and he can't ever. We can't ever find the clip because it's like only on TV or whatever. There's this thing where Patton Oswalt talks about how his um, late wife like wouldn't watch uh, violent movies or TV when it was just like a guy getting shot. My girlfriend is obsessed with like true crime and serial killers too. All she does all day watches FBI files, forensics files on TV, the most graphic, disturbing, depressing shows. I walk him house every single day. The amount of semen found in the chest cavity led to Oh my God. She's like, shit, the semen cavity killer. I want to see what the... So last year, they re-released The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, maybe the greatest movie ever made. So, um, she said, I've never seen The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I was like, oh, you're in for a treat. So we go to see The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. 10 minutes into it, she walked out. Cause it was too violent. It was too violent. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is nothing but guys dying like this. That's it. That's the whole movie. That's the whole movie. That's as violent as, oh my God, he shot that guy. What? And then I got to go home. The necklace was made of vaginas and that led him every... Oh my God. Daniel will walk in and I'll be listening to something and they'll be like, um, they uh, eviscerated her and then um, he raped her skull. And I'm like, uh-huh. Uh huh. And Daniel's like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" Mm-hmm. That and like, I love Hannibal, yeah. um, which he really doesn't understand. Which I don't understand. Right. I don't know. I walked in on her, listened to a podcast episode, and the part I walked in on was where the woman had escaped, but her arms had been chopped off at like the mid forearm, and so she'd fallen down a ravine, and the stumps were all full of mud and leaves. And she no, was like, no, "Oh, she's she, gonna get away." She intentionally packed the stumps with mud oh, so and she could live to so stop she, bleeding. Yeah, that's the stuff she listens to. And she's like, these video games. I'm like, okay, we just have different different approaches to stuff. <laughs> but you know, it did, it did make me feel good because I was I was having a little bit of a panic uh, yesterday that the the two times I've been lucky enough to be on, or th- uh, two when we're talking about movies, 
John Wick, I was worried Tracy wouldn't like. And then I was like, you know what? The, the, the revenge for the dog, I think I'm in a good spot. She came on and said she liked it. And I was like, oof, okay, good. And then Shutter Island, I, you know, I kind of knew ahead of time that she was going to really like that because that's kind of fits her, her style of thriller. I was a little worried. You know, Bastards is one of my all-time favorites. And I was a little worried. I was like, shoo, this might maybe blow up in my face. So when you guys were like, hey, we're going to swap this to Once Upon a Time, I'm like, oh, thank God. Okay, good. So I'm going to be three for three. This, this worked out great because better. this was a new one for both of us. But since, you know, whenever we do Bastards in the future, you and I have already seen that. I haven't seen it since it, like, came out. So I'm probably going to revisit it before I watch it with Tracy just so I know when to, like, mute it or have her, like, just be on guard um, just just to help out. The more I think about it, the more I think that Cliff might be kind of a little bit of a sociopath or he definitely killed those dudes so fast. Well, on I only, acid, I only think about it. I only think about it because I was thinking about when he was punching out that really freaky hippie and he just kept hitting him. And he was like, you come any closer and I'll knock all his teeth out. And I was like. I feel like you hit him once and that was cool. And I don't really think you needed to keep going, but you did like, I think violence to him is, is nothing. And I think that that's why, Oh, this plays into, to what I recently studied, which is uh, the fear response, the amygdala um, in my neuroscience class, which is that he may have some sort of something that I think a lot of stuntmen probably have. And that I think Brandon might've had before he had a baby, which is uh, that like, you're just not afraid of anything. And so like you can take the amygdala out and it removes your ability. Like you literally cannot feel fear. And so I think that you have to have something kind of like that to do the job that stuntmen do, stuntmen and women, stunt people, and to be able to inflict pain like that on somebody and just very casually, you know what I mean? So yeah. I wonder if he had some sort of lesion on his brain. I could see that. Have you seen Free Solo? They do a whole thing and they're about exactly what you just described to Alex Honnold. And they're like, he's missing or the parts of his brain that are like, you should be afraid of this are not active. And so he's like, he's capable of doing these things because it's like, genuinely your brain is not functioning the way that regular humans would be like this. You can't do this. And he, so that's, it's really interesting you said that it's exactly what they do in free solo. That's your fear center. And it's one of those things where you're like, this is cool, but also this is not cool because if you don't have any fear, then you can put other people in danger. You are absolutely putting yourself in danger. It's like those people that do the, the um, base jumping. And Brandon told me one time, our brother-in-law, it's not if you die, it's when you die. And I was like, what awesome, like, what the fuck would you want to do that? So, um, yeah. Yeah. The, the controversy, the conflict in, in Free Solo comes up because he's finally started dating someone that really loves him and it becomes a problem when it affects mm -hmm. her, just like you said. It's like, it, yeah, he's not afraid, but she's fucking terrified and it's like affecting their relationship and he's like, but this doesn't matter to me. And she's like, do you process 
but it matters to me if you die. That's really interesting. And I think that Cliff has I can made, see that. possibly has something like that. Uh, possibly some damage with all the head injuries that I imagine he's oh, had. Oh, yeah. Because he he's possibly, got lots of scars on like his arm and his head He could have possibly stuff. damaged his amygdala. I can't believe that I'm using my goddamn neuroscience. I think I have an extra big amygdala because I am I have a healthy fear of a lot of stuff. Yeah, you're afraid that of That most everything. people just do. You're afraid of everything. <laughs> like, like swimming in the ocean. That's how you die. That's a terrible idea. You're afraid of swimming in a pool. You can also drown in pools. I was surprised by a lizard that jumped out at me when I was taking the trash out hey, last night. So fuck that guy, you know, jumping out at you. That's not right. <laughs> this is this is a tense time. America, don't jump out. People. <laughs> Daniel has a large spider living in his car. He just fucking lives there now. And I'm just, like, just fuck. respects him. You're gonna you're gonna have to sell the car. I'm like, oh man, this is a lease, but I have to burn it now. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 So anyway. I think this was a good this one. This is a good one. This okay, is a good one. So Let's do hell yes. Price, you're the guest. You go first, or unless you want to wait. No, I screwed it up last time. You guys go first so I get the sense of the tenor of our hell <laughs> yes, it. so I don't mess it up. Last For everyone listening, last time, Dan and Tracy did these amazing stories and hell yes about like the people on the front lines, and I'm like, oh, I got a new wine opener. True. I liked it. <laughs> Mine is uh, John Krasinski's new little mini-sodes called Some Good News that you can find on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram, um, he decided to use his quarantine time to bring like happiness to the world by uh, collecting other people's good news and good things that have happened and show them to us and make us all cry and make us laugh and make us happy and uh, fulfill wishes for people. Like his daughters drew the logo signs and Emily Blunt, his wife, comes in at one point. Uh, his weatherman is Robert De Niro. It's just, it's really, goddamn, it makes me so happy. And I, it makes, I think it's just, and you can, and they have an Instagram that they update with good news during the week. Um, and I think we all need that uh, because I will have maybe once a week, maybe twice, maybe three possibly possibly like six days a week i'll have breakdowns where i'm just like i can't take any more bad news i can't open the new york times and see that this person has lied and this person has lied and this country has lied and everyone's dying and what's happening and we're going to reopen the country and then a hundred thousand more people are going to die and i can't handle it and so i'm like some good news is what i will watch because who is not madly in love with John Krasinski and or Emily Blunt and wants to see kids being made happy and possibly spoiler the entire cast of Hamilton singing together. So I think some good news is mine. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a really good one. Mine is both a combination of hell yeah and some pod keeping following up on some recent announcements. And mine is the truth of the cat's butthole cut. I oh, have more information. The truth comes out. Uh, yeah. If you, if you don't know about the cat's butthole cut, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through it real quick. Uh, oh, basically, God. there was a rumor going around that there were visual effects artists hired in the late stage of production of the movie Cats to er erase the buttholes that were on the cats. And so somewhere there exists a butthole cut that people want to see released. The Daily Beast ran a piece the other day with a source about what actually happened and what the movie was like we spent way too um, much time talking about cats buttholes. yeah and so uh, apparently it was already halfway complete when the buttholes first showed themselves said a source who worked on the film's visual effects quote 
when we were looking at the playbacks, we were like, what the hell? You guys see that? We paused it. We went to call our supervisor and we're like, there's a fucking asshole in here. There's buttholes. It wasn't prominent, but you saw it. And you were just like, what the hell is that? There's a fucking butthole in there. It wasn't in your face. But at the same time, too, if you're looking, you'll see it. He said, quote, there was nobody that said we want buttholes. It was just one of those things that happened and slipped through. The visual effects source uh, described the situation as, quote, almost slavery and recalled working 90 hour weeks for some months. Some colleagues stayed in the office for two or three days at a time. Worse was the treatment from the director, Tom Hooper, who had no idea how much work this movie would be and just made them put their life, made their life a living hell. It took the team six months to make the two minute trailer and they just had no time to do anything else. And so they were, yeah, there were actual buttholes that they had to cover up while making everything else at the last minute. So we had the great honest closing. Yeah, exactly. Close all the buttholes. So it took them six months to make a two minute trailer. And they're like, well, we only got four months left for the rest of the movie. Let's make this happen. And that is the the bottom line. It's on the Daily Beast. You can just look up uh, the headline of the story. No one is, wants to look that up. Is, quote, editing the buttholes out of cats was a total nightmare for VFX crew. And I think it's it's great that the truth has finally come to light. And that's important in this time of, of you're a challenge. Butt, you're a- so is your, is your hell yeah that you want to see the butthole cut? Or there a hell yeah that they I removed My the hell yeah is that there was somebody dumb enough to make it. Somebody at one point sat down and was like, I think this computer generated cat needs a butthole well they have to poop and like that is so dumb but like savant level amazing that i'm like you know what hell yeah hell yeah for you you idiot and then you cause all these problems in this shit show of a movie and yeah it's just so fucking weird that i'm glad it was i'm glad something that weird and dumb exists so hell yeah can i adjust my hell yeah yeah to say that this was the last time we'll ever have to hear about cats buttholes on this podcast that we know of challenge accepted (laughs) yeah next time on a very special how have you not seen this it's the oh my god oh my god if we could find it man can price be on the on the podcast like all the time we don't have the salary for that (laughs) plus uh yeah it's you know i I have a lot going on uh after this i'm going to walk into the other room that's what i've got planned for the rest of the day big okay yeah my hell yeah i was gonna draft off tracks because i think that was a really good one i think uh it's always really it's always really fun i guess it create you know out of conflict breeds creativity in some cases to do exactly what i think track said which is like to see how people creative people especially are adapting to do things in this environment and, and i'm referencing that we we just watched the the snl at home and regardless of kind of what people think of the current state of snl i'm kind of a big snl nerd but i can also understand people thinking that, it, that it's not the quality that it was 15 20 I years ago i have always said that i think that's you know what it's probably part of being a uh, of snl being on but i do think similar to post 9 11 people turn to snl a bit to be like what's What's our general take on yeah. how we approach this kind of thing? And the fact that they pulled off like a show, quote unquote, at home while all of the cast members are recording their own skits in their own apartments. Tom Hanks is doing an intro. Chris Martin is the musical guest. Like they did a really nice job. And like even Jimmy Fallon doing the Tonight Show from his home yep. with his yes. daughters. And like they have segments, they have interviews. Like it is, I think, very comforting to see people like, yeah, I'll, I'll come on my Zoom and, and you know, the Beastie Boys come on and did an interview with Fallon and Questlove for like an hour. And you're like, yeah, it's cool. Like we're going to we'll, we'll figure out a way to do a Zoom interview. And yeah, I'm going to have to draw our Tonight Show logo on a piece of paper because nobody's here to give it to me and I don't have a printer. So it's like, here's what this looks like. And you're like, it, it is inspiring that people are like, we just want to do what we want to do and, and still find a way to make it happen. And, and, you know, I know, you, I'm sure you guys have seen like, 
musicians and bands are getting on their live Instagrams and playing. Like we, I watched one from from Metric last week. Silver Sun Pickups did one on Friday night, and it's like, yeah, we'll get on Instagram live, and it may not sound perfect, but y'all can shout at us at what you want us to play, and I'll play it on my guitar and sing it. And you're like, okay, this is really fun. Like it, they're they're trying their best. So I mean, my hell yeah is just kind of like the fact that people are really trying. And I, and I know that's a weird thing, but Chris people are trying. Chris Cuomo is still doing the fucking news. From his house. With COVID-19 in his fucking basement. Yeah, like he He's like, no, through. I'm still going to do the news. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, I'm Fuck you, COVID. I'm doing it. Yeah. And then you've got Daniel's able to watch Rhett Miller uh, do live. I was able to watch the Indigo Girls do a live show. Like, this is one of those things where, like, you really see the heart of people. Mm-hmm. I mean- the fact that you get to see, and, and it's this. This is obviously the same in any crisis. The best and the worst in people. You see, and 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 we're really seeing who gave like um, um Pink gave a million dollars to virus research. Virus research. Uh, what's his name? Who's just such an asshole? The Twitter. Uh, a Dor- Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey gave a, uh, gave a billion billion dollars. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. And so when someone's like, I'm giving $100,000, I'm like, shut the fuck up. You have way more than that, and you don't need, need to give it. But that's just me. I keep buying stuff from artists because they're like, I don't have any money. And I'm like, I don't have a lot of money, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to try to keep it going. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, uh, and pass it along. And, and you're absolutely right. Watching what people can do when they don't have, like well they don't have the resources john oliver's doing his show from his house yeah and uh thankfully the hbo crew is able to pull together his um uh his intro his his intro and all that but you know it's amazing and it's beautiful and i actually though i what's funny is i think you know they all kind of took a break and then they all came back and i have a feeling it was because (laughs) their bosses were like listen we're all scared and we get it, but we have advertisers and you have people that are counting on you and you need to, you need to nut up. And I'm really proud of them for doing that because they're just as scared as anybody else, especially if they're in New York, but they've decided to make the best of it. And I love that. Yeah. It's awesome. The stuff they're doing. Yeah. That's a good one, man. Yeah. Very good one. Nice. Especially since you're in a creative business yourself and yeah. you, and you guys have had to do the same thing. Yeah, we've had that. We've had to get very creative in the way that we've approached a lot of the stuff that we had planned to shoot traditionally, um, whether it be for kind of commercials or long form. We've we've shifted to animation and and reconcepted things. We've got uh, working on something for one of my clients that that we've basically got two animators and they're a team and they're normally together, but one of them's in France and one of them's in Australia, and we just communicate via email and we're like, "Can you guys do this by this date?" They're like, "Yeah, this will be a lot of fun. We'll just get on Zoom." And so like they get on Zoom and they're and basically it keeps us from able like. Keeps us being able to produce work it's just not in the way that we're used to doing it so we're having to do a lot of things and like we you know we review cuts via zoom and someone's showing us stuff that we would normally do in person so it is you know we don't want to do it forever but it's certainly interesting to see the way that people have kind of adapted uh to solve some of these problems and i think you know this is i think we all know that it'll I think pretty drastically changed the way that people approach things once we're out of this. Not only the basics on like, hey, actually working from home is not that big of a deal, or I feel comfortable if something goes wrong. And you know, in New York, we've got preparedness plans on like, hey, if there's a terrorist attack, what happens with the office and who does what? Like, it it makes people more calm now that like, hey, working from home, we can do this pretty pretty yep. seamlessly now. But I think there's also a piece that's like, 
an evaluation of kind of the what's important and what's not. And that sounds grander than I mean it to, but I mean like there's a lot of shit you're not gonna have to worry that much about anymore when you get back and you're like, hey, I remember I remember producing a show like from my couch. Like we, we've got bigger problems. You know, there, there's bigger things to worry about than like some of these things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, just put that stuff in perspective. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, we'll be the ones saying to kids, you know, born after this, we'll be like, you know, this is our I walk to school in snow yeah. uphill exactly. both ways. <laughs> I remember a time when I couldn't leave my house and all I had. Was- <laughs> at least it'll be true. Know, it'll be true. Man, I was in quarantine for six months. Be like, I had to grow my own food. It was terrible. They'll be yeah. like, I think you're lying. Grandpa, you're full of yeah, shit. Grandpa, yeah. you're lying. Well, this is a good one. Good Very talk, good y'all. One. Cool. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for coming on again, man. It's always awesome. And uh, and we will uh, we'll see you again, definitely for Inglorious Bastards, if not for, sure. uh, for uh, something else. Um because you are an excellent guest. Yeah. Until we meet again. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Quarantino! <laughs> <laughs> Sign off, Quentin Quarantino. Uh-huh.